Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us in our last week of our series titled Family Circus. Today we have Pastor Steve here to discuss what God's mission is for our families or what we like to call Misio Day. Let's listen in on the conversation. Uh, well, man, once again, good morning. Um, I, I'm going to explain why what happened with my foot because um, I haven't gotten the chance to talk to everyone. So here's it. I was attacked by a bear. And, um, and it, no, um, everyone's like, we've been here long enough. You're full of crap. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, no, what ended up happening, um, been, I've been painting houses 20 years and, uh, and in those 20 years have not taken good care of myself. Um, and what I ended up developing, um, over the course of 20 years, specifically over the last three or four months is I have a moderate and severe, uh, tendonitis in my Achilles tendons. And, and so, yeah, it hurts all the time. Um, so they put this fashionable boot on me. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, in the past, pastoring world, sometimes you, you, like, I'm not, like, the skinny jeans guy, and I'm not, like, the male tunic t-shirt guy, and I'm not, I can't do, like, the shaved sides and, like, the, because I'm going bald, and, uh, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to do, put an air cast on, and I'm going to be super fashionable, and I'm going to start something new, and, um, no, so I, I have to wear this for three weeks, and so, um, I would really appreciate your prayers over the next couple of weeks as hopefully this thing heals, and we'll be able to, uh, just work my way down to insoles uh, and, and everything. And so it's, it's just been kind of a funny uh, last couple of days. And so um, uh, worst case scenario, they have to do surgery. So let's just be pr- I just ask you to be praying that they don't have to do surgery. Um, but um, needless to say, I had to, uh, I had to put to death my love of what I think are cool hip shoes, and I have to potentially start wearing insoles. So I'm feeling very old right now. Um, so if anybody wants to go down to the soda fountain after and maybe do the Charleston, uh, that's how old I'm feeling right now. So, <laughs> but uh, man, we are, we're, again, I'm just so excited, so honored that you would choose to spend your Sunday morning with us. We, uh, like Chelsea said and Teddy, we are wrapping up a series called The Family Circus. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at, at, the, at the topic of family through a few specific different lenses. But the entire thesis around the series is, if you are a part of a family, it's a circus. There's chaos that is connected to it. There's entertainment uh, if you're a parent, and sometimes it's just entertaining uh, with your kids or your spouse. But man, if you are a part of a family, it is a circus. And so to wrap things up this morning, if you haven't been here for the three weeks, I just wanted to give uh, take the next few moments and give a quick recap over where we've been the last two weeks. Now, week one, we talked about the topic of the idea of having the family that you've always wanted. And we gave three specific steps. If you want to have the family that you've always wanted, that you've always dreamed of, there are three things, and there's probably more, but there are three specific things that we talked about that need to be in play in your life if you want to see the family that you've always wanted, because the family that you've always wanted doesn't begin with other people, it begins with you. And so those three things are, uh, you, need to, you need to practice constant reconciliation, you need to be working towards peace by extending forgiveness often, and you need to risk your reputation to restore relationship. Um, week number two, we talked about the fact that every family has a functional dysfunctionality attached to it. We are all functionally dysfunctional. And one of the things that we talked about in this series is in the midst of our functional dysfunctionality, our prayer needs to be, God, would you bless this mess that is my family? I need you to bless this mess that is my family. And we talked a lot about in Matthew chapter 5, 
uh, verse 6, that Jesus gave a very specific instruction. If you want to see the blessings of God in your life, you need to hunger and thirst for the right things. And we talked about the fact that in your life, if the things that you are pursuing, if the, if the things that you are hungering and thirsting for, if your appetite for your family is not towards things that fulfill you, that bring you closer to Jesus, then it's time for you to adjust and change your appetite. Um, and, and so this morning, as we wrap up our, our time in this series, over the, the few moments we have remaining together, I, I want to um, talk about this topic, and I've entitled this message, uh, Missio Dei. Um, this is not my uh, title. Uh, this is the title of another family series, but I love the, 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 the representation of these, of these Latin words when they're combined. Missio Dei means mission of God. And because whether your family is on the spectrum of functional, or however your family was started, God has a plan and a mission and a purpose for your family. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a huge fan of the movie franchise Mission Impossible. Huge fan of the movie franchise Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise, if that is the only movie he ever did for the rest of his life, I would see every single one of them. They are fantastically unrealistic, and it is just a great way. Like, you know what? Maybe I could do that. Maybe if I worked hard enough, I could hold on to the side of a plane while it's taking off and nothing bad happens. I mean, there's just so much potential that exists in those movies. I love, I love everything about it. Um, I loved Mission Impossible 1. I loved Mission Impossible 2. I loved Mission Impossible 3. These are very creative names that they, they, they added to these series. I love Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol. That's probably my favorite out of the, uh, out of the five. And I, I, mean, I love the most recent one. That's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Now, one of the cornerstones of these, uh, move, this movie franchise is this invitation to the mission. You know, it'd be kind of a silly movie geared around Mission Impossible if there's no invitation to a mission, right? Then it would just be Tom Cruise sitting around and nobody wants to watch that. Um, and so what happens is there's always sort of this, this like smooth, super slick, like spy-like coincidence that seems to be taking place around wherever Tom Cruise is. And, and probably my favorite uh, super slick, spy-like coincidence happens in the third movie. And Tom Cruise is at a convenience store. He ends up having a very random conversation. And in the midst of the random conversation, there's always a phrase or a word that sparks his interest. Like all of a sudden, there's a, a code word that he should be hear, listening for, and all of a sudden, it just pops in. And all of a sudden, he's super attentive to the rest of the conversation. Because in the midst of a normal conversation, there are specific things that he's going to need to be hearing. And one of the cool things is as the person is having this like very general conversation, but very specific to Tom Cruise, he so happens to walk by a, a, a display of disposable cameras. Now, what if, if you are under the age of 25 and you don't know what a disposable camera is, a disposable camera is a can and I know because everyone has a camera, on the phone, a disposable camera is a, uh, a camera that you would buy and you would take pictures with it and then you would throw it away. It doesn't do much for the pictures on the camera because you have to throw the camera away. But So hopefully they weren't important pictures, but um, I worked really hard at laying that joke out, and it just... <laughs> anyway, uh, but a disposable camera, you could take up to like 30 pictures, you could get them developed, and you just toss the camera. And, and so all of a sudden, 
This, this disposable camera just so happens to get bumped by this random person's elbow in the midst of a very casual but specific conversation, and Tom Cruise purchases the camera, opens the camera, look, puts his eye in the eyepiece of the camera, presses the button, and then there's a conversation that goes something like this. Good evening, Mr. Hunt. It's Tom Cruise's name. Something, 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 something. This was stolen. You have to steal it back. Something, 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 and then there's always this line. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? Your mission, should you choose to accept it? If there was ever a phrase that defined God's call on our lives under the topic of family, it's this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it? I was always so intrigued by that part of the, the movie because the reality is that's not saying this is your mission. They say this is your mission should you choose to accept it. In all five of these movies, Tom Cruise has the opportunity to say no. He has the opportunity to walk away due to the difficulty or the severity of whatever the mission is. But here's the deal. In order to achieve an, a desired goal, you have to say yes to more missions than you say no to. And the truth is, when it comes to the topic of family, we can either accept God's mission for our families— we can accept the roles and the, the places that he's placed each of us in, in our families. We can either accept those or reject those. Now, to accept means that there's probably a lot of work ahead of you. There will be difficulty. There will be challenges. But at the end of it, you will ach have achieved the desired goal. By rejecting it, you say, it's not worth the effort. So if you're taking notes this morning, I have three points when it comes to this missio day lifestyle that God has called us to live. And point number one is this. No matter how your family happened, no matter how your family happened, God now has a plan, and he has a purpose, and he has a mission for your family. I've heard it said before that there are definitely accidental parents, but there are never accidental children. Now, I know that some families are planned. My wife and I, we planned our family. We said we are going to, we're going to try actively, and all the married couples said amen, uh, we're going to try actively towards uh, starting a family. Yes, that was a sex joke. Get over it. Uh, but we, we're going to try actively to start a family. We, we knew we wanted kids. Um, and so we, we began to aggressively pursue starting a family. Seven months later, we found out we were pregnant with Taylor, and it is one of the greatest decisions we've ever made. Now, we can on purpose start a family, or there are families that have begun unplanned. But the reality is, the truth is, no matter whether your family was planned or unplanned, no matter what happens, uh, the, re the truth is God sees the ideas of planned and unplanned very differently than we do. 
So if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew. Uh, it's the first book in the, in the New Testament, Matthew specifically chapter 25. We're going to be looking at some verses in that portion of the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, we're going to be having the verses on the screen. Or if you don't own a Bible, we've got free Bibles back at the Welcome Center. Uh, talk to Taylor uh, after service, and she w- we would love to give you a Bible that's yours to keep. Um, Man, wear it out, highlight it, read it, get active inside of it, man, because it is an amazing, amazing book. Um, and as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question this morning as you're turning to Matthew chapter 25. Where do you think in America is the richest real estate? So in America, our country, where do you think the richest real estate exists? This is the, this is the interactive time. California. We've got one vote for California. Virginia. Manhattan. San Jose, San Francisco, South Dakota. Okay, <laughs> that was, uh, all right. I mean, um, I just, you know, there's moments like you're throwing out and you just don't expect to hear South Dakota. Um, but South Dakota, okay, it's on the list. Um, anything else, anywhere else? Minnesota jump up in anybody's mind? Having the nation's richest real estate? We're on that list, people. It's exciting. We, we may be on some horrible lists, but man, that is a great list. That's the coolest to be on. And so I want to give you kind of the, the top three uh, areas in our nation that have the, the richest real estate. And, um, and, and number one is um, Newport Beach, California. Uh, as I was looking through real estate, I was like, man, if we worked our finances well enough, Jen, we could own a property for three weeks here. This would be a fantastic three weeks. But uh, in Newport Beach, California, um, I, I found a two-bedroom a two-bedroom, very worn-down beach shack. Now, I use the word shack very graciously because it was kind of a shed with windows. And and so a a two-bedroom shed with windows on the beach in Newport Beach, California will cost you $2.29 million. So then uh, then another one that I was surprised, uh, Orono, Minnesota. Orono, Minnesota. Lovely area. If you've never been to Orono, man, drive through. It's a beautiful area. Um, you can get a, a wonderful four-bedroom mid-size home. They're not the biggest bedrooms in the world, but they're decent. You know what I mean? Just don't be a big person. Um, uh, 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 but if you want to get a four-bedroom, um, just moderate home in Orono, Minnesota, it's got a lovely view of a park. It's got some woods behind it. That's going to run you about $1.68 million. And then there's uh, Mercer Island, Washington. Mercer, shut up, you live here now. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's my best friend. They just moved from Washington back to Minnesota. And like, man, he is like rude. And so, but there's context around that most lovingly shut up. Um, so I apologize for everyone listening to the podcast later. Um, but um, so in Mercer Island, Washington, you can get a three-bedroom, moderate-sized home, not so big as Orono, but definitely a little bigger than, 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 than Newport Beach. Uh, you can get a three-bedroom home in Mercer Island, Washington, for the same price of about $1.6 million. Now, throughout the nation, there, is, uh, there are immense areas of rich real estate. But do you want to know where the richest real estate is in our nation? Do you want to know? Because I have it. I have the answer. It looks like this. It's a cemetery. The richest real estate in our nation is in the cemetery. And here's why. Think about 
all the untapped potential, all the untapped hope, all the untapped dreams, all the untapped and uninvented inventions, ideas, books, preachers, teachers, lawyers. Think about all that untapped potential now exists and will live forever six feet deep. See, I believe that, the, that many of us and many of the plans and purposes and missions that God has for our lives and for our families are coming to a dangerous place of never reaching their God-purposed potential. And so often it becomes, it comes with the tagline, but nothing good starts this way. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, says this, Jesus says in a parable, he says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five, and the master said, and master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where, where have not Sorry, hold on. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with, and I love what the message translation says, it said, with just maybe a little interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever will be given more, and they will, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does, does not have, even what they have will be taken from them, and throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How often do we find ourselves determining the, determining the potential of someone or something based on the three, the small three-letter word, how? You see, God doesn't see the limitations of how when it comes to potential and purpose because the reality is he's the same God that used a national uprising, a pregnant and disgraced teenage girl, a savior, a stable, and a scandal to usher in the savior of the world. We look at the story of, of Christmas, 
of the story of Jesus coming to, to, to be a baby, to be born a baby on this planet, ultimately for the forgiveness and salvation of mankind. And if we were to look at that story, we would look at it and be like, there is no way anything good can come from that based on how it started. But God doesn't see how the way we see how. He doesn't see, he, I, think he, I think he very much acknowledges that there are problems, but what he doesn't do is he doesn't overshadow potential and purpose and his plan and his mission with the problems that we often do. Because he used the greatest scandal in human history to usher in the Savior of the world. Now, I understand that given circumstances in life there are both con- that, that are both uncontrolled and controlled, but the reality is, the truth is, we have a responsibility to tap into the untapped potential of ourselves as, where, as well as our families. In plain terms, no one is too far gone for God to do something incredible through their lives. No one has done too much for God to say enough. You have been born into purposes and plans and potential that many of us have, are only tapping up into about 10%. It's almost like an iceberg analogy where there's only about 10% or less that you see on the surface, but oftentimes what's coming is incredible. It wasn't the top of the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. It was everything that, that existed below the surface that sunk the unsinkable ship. God is working things out in your life and in my life. And so I said last week, because God's purposes are different than ours, let's not get hasty and uncomfortable and distrust God's process, even though it may not look like ours, okay? So point number one is this. No matter how your family started, planned, unplanned, Rejoicing, or oh my gosh, what the heck are we going to do? No matter how your family happened, God has a plan and purpose and mission for your family. Point number two is this. Stop being led by fate and lean and lead in faith. Stop being led by fate and lead in faith. Now I understand that faith can be a scary thing. But no matter how scary living a life of faith is, it is necessary when living out this missio day, mission of God type lifestyle. Now, here's the deal. Fate is a wonderful thing if you're watching a romantic comedy or reading a Nicholas Sparks novel. Fate is wonderful. It's romantic. It's, it, it, it's just such a wonderful, like, Something. I don't know what it is because I, I, I don't read those books and I often try and avoid those movies. But, uh, but it's one of those things. Like it, they're, they're great when it comes to those contexts, but the, the truth is those contexts aren't real. Like my wife and I, we have a very real marriage with very real arguments and very real no talking spells until one of us either waits for the other person to buckle or we actually uh, work through the, the childlike issues and get to the real mature, nitty-gritty, what's-going-to-make-our-family-better type conversations. And the, reality, and, and, and the truth is, when I saw Jen, I, I wasn't impressed. Not to, like, slam her. And she wasn't impressed with me. There was never that aha moment, but there was that, that working of getting to know the other person where finally I either, either it was God spoke to her and said, this guy needs help, you need to marry him, or I just wore her down with persistence that she was just like, Fine. 
And it's just like this mercy marrying. I don't think that's what it is. But <laughs> my mom almost spit out her tea. Um, but, uh, but no, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's real. And it's not sexy all the time. And it's work. And it's a struggle. And figuring out how to pastor a church and paint houses and DJ weddings and be a good dad to my kids and an even better husband to my wife, man, that takes work. And that's effort. And, and so often I think we fall into this happenstance of like, well, it's just going to be fate. The stars are going to align. It's the, the situation's going to be per Well, no, that's, again, that's great for romantic comedies. But if you want a family and a marriage and a life that is leaning towards something, you have to lead in faith. And so often I have had conversation after conversation after conversation with husbands, husbands, with wives, with kids, with, with families that, that either just simply just live life hoping that fate would play them a positive hand or they blame fate because it's dealt them, dealt them a bad hand. But as our families step into this Missio Dei, God's mission for our lives, we need to first lean into faith and not allow fate to be the dictator of where life leads us. We need to have faith in the fact that God is who he says he is. That God is who he said he was. And faith to believe that God is who he says he's going to be. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says this, the prophet Jeremiah says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we are seeking Jesus with everything we have inside of us, when we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after doing things God's way, when we are giving Jesus all the energy of the pursuit, we have no time for fate. Because all we have capacity for is faith. All we have capacity for is understanding who God is and the plans that he has for us and the plans that he has for our family. Does life have hard seasons sometimes? Yes. Does life have great seasons sometimes? Yes. Does life have seasons that leave you at the end of the day scratching your head and looking to the sky and just going, huh? Yes. But in the good and the bad and the huh moments, we have to have faith to know that God is working all things in our lives for his glory and for our good and joy. I th I, when I think of it like, um, you know, like, like, the fate, like the fate of the deck, you know, like the fate of uh, the, the way that the cards just kind of lay. You know what I mean? Uh, there's almost like, well, these are the cards that I was dealt. Here's the, here's the truth. In your life, it's not about the cards that you were dealt because you have a relationship with the dealer. Think about that. It's not about the cards that you were most randomly dealt through the obscurity of the universe, but we have a relationship with the dealer. And so when we are in relationship with the dealer, we can go to the dealer. We can go to God, as the Bible says, in confidence asking and believing for the things that are ours through Christ. Fate says, I'm in control of nothing. Leading in vision 
and leading in mission and leading in faith that leads to faithfulness takes something beyond faith. So let's not trust in faith. Let's not, let's not simply be, stop, let's stop being led by faith and start being led in faith to the conclusion that God would have for us. And point number three is this, and this is our last point. And I want to invite the, the worship team up. In the moments we have remaining, I just want to encourage you with this. God's mission for your family is that you have a specific vision. God's mission for your family is that you have a specific vision. You will never arrive at a, at a desired destination on accident. You will never arrive at a desired destination on accident. And the hard reality is that time after time after time and after time, we will allow things to take the wheel of our lives, take the wheels of our family's lives, and at the end, when we, when we arrive at this destination that we never anticipated or expecting, expected to be at, we'll kind of throw our hands up in disgust and say, well, I never intended for us to get to this place. I never intended for us to land here. And that may be true. You may have never intended for your family to end up in the disaster that it is. You may have never intended for your life to end up in the disaster where it was. You may have not intended, but you definitely allowed it by doing nothing. You may not have intended, but you allowed it. Now, I know I hit this hard last week. I know I hit this point hard last week, and, and I'm going to unapologetically hit it again this week. Maybe a little bit harder. But when it comes to leading in vision, when it comes to leading your family in the mission that God has for you, there has to be a leader. There has to be someone that says, I'm going to take the reins of my life. I'm going to take the reins of the lives of my families, and I am going to lead us toward the desired destination of where God would have us go. Now, if you are a part of a nuclear family, mom, dad, children, uh, dog, cat, white picket fence, loft, whatever, if you are a part of a nuclear family, that role, that responsibility, that pressure, that weight, that lands on the man. That lands on the husband. God has entrusted us as men to be the leader that our families deserve. He has entrusted us to hold the weight of our families. See, the truth is, when I get to the end of my life, I'm not going to be responsible for how well my life was in relationship to God. I'm going to be responsible for how well my wife was able to experience the blessings and purposes of God. I'm going to be responsible for not just the kids, but I'm going to be responsible for Taylor, and I'm going to be responsible for Addison, and I'm going to be responsible for every single person who has occupied a seat at Motion City Church for the last two years and hopefully for the next 50. I mean, that's a weight that is overwhelming and unbearable at times, but with God, all things are possible. With God, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because even though I'm carrying this intense burden, 
of my family's capacity to experience and pursue the perfect person of God and to achieve the mission and the vision that God has set out, not simply for me, but for my family. It is an overwhelming weight. It is an overwhelming burden, but it's a burden that when I can't carry it anymore, I can release it back into the hands of the Father. Not that it doesn't come back down on me, but I can entrust back to God with what he has given me in the first place. Too many men have given up the responsibility that is ours as men. Too many men have been given the opportunity to accept the mission, but have denied it, leaving the responsibility and weight of being the spiritual visionary and leader to their spouses. The title of man is a title that is earned, not one you receive when there's a certain number of candles on a birthday cake. Being a man is a title that is earned. And I see so many men, and I have so many conversations with so many heartbroken wives because the the men that they have entrusted their family to be led by has embraced what we like to call in the sociological, sociology world as prolonged adolescence, which means we're we're, we're holding on to to the Xbox controller long than we're holding on to a regular job. We're holding on to the things that we want to experience to pursue and experience some sort of level of happiness and fulfillment that, again, won't last because at the time of becoming a man, the taste for things that were childish should have been washed away and the embracement of the things that lead us towards responsibility and manhood and masculinity, man, they, they should be, have been acquired, which is why I think adolescence is such a crock. I think adolescence is the biggest waste of time that our culture has invented because when you look at the Bible, there was no adolescence. Jesus went from being a boy to being a man, and there was understanding that there was going to be work and there was going to be effort put into the rest of his life, but we've allowed men to prolong this process of adolescence because we want them to be able to have fun and we want them to be able to figure it out. Here's the deal. When you get married, you will have nothing figured out, and what you thought you had figured out, you will realize now that there's a girl living in her house, I don't know how to fold towels. I don't know how to do laundry. There are things that I am learning throughout the course of the seven plus years with my wife that have been work. But embarrassingly, there have been times in our marriage where I have laid the responsibility of spiritual leadership on her because I've wanted to pursue what I think is mine. here's the deal. I know that there are men in this place who have stepped into that role and responsibility that God has created for them. And and for those men, I would like to say, well done. Well done. Thank you for being an example for those of us who are coming up after you. Thanks for giving us a target to shoot for. I think specifically of my dad, and I just want to say thanks for showing me how to love well to lead well thank you if you are in this place and you're like I don't have anyone in my life to look up to can I just say you can just you can just follow my dad just follow my dad he hasn't led me wrong and and what I've seen is in, in his existence is a humility that when mistakes have been made he's not big enough He's not too big to say I'm sorry. And he's not too big to seek out forgiveness. 
So to the men who have owned their role, thank you. Thank you for giving me a target to shoot for. I know that there are some men in this room, there are some males actually, I'm going to use that instead of the word man. There are some males in this room that have yet to fully step into their, their creative and intended place of biblical manhood. And can I say very directly and unapologetically, you are crippling yourself and you are crippling the future that God has for your family. Because of your selfishness, because of your prolonged adolescence, because of you taking the time to figure things out when maybe things aren't figured out at the point of beginning, but as our, our lives should be directed towards God, let me tell you that you are crippling your family. I hear so many guys say, well, when I'm, once I'm married, I'll figure this out. I'll start here. <laughs> there is so much chaos that exists before when you get met. If you're not working on yourself now, there's no way you'll have time to figure it out once things get going. That's why we believe in things like city groups. That's why I believe in things like the local church where we come together arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and we encourage men to be men. We, I, I have a Wednesday night uh, city group that meets at Lebanon called Manhood Restored, and we're basically going through this concept of, of manhood has gotten such a, a horrible, disfigured, unrecognizable reputation, but it's not for society to define because it was never created by society. God created manhood, and because if God created manhood, then he has the trademark on it, and so we need to look back to what he says about manhood. So if you're a guy in this room, I just want to give you a public invitation to our Wednesday night city group, Manhood Restored at Lebanon. Starts at 6.30. Man, we'll beat you up and spit you out, but we will encourage you and hopefully inspire you along the way because sometimes men just need the crap kicked out of them for the blessing and glory of God. So to those men in the room, I want to say very directly to you, you need to repent and you need to turn to God and allow him to restore your manhood. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says this from the English Standard Version. It says, be watchful, stand firm, act like men, and be strong. It's time for men to be strong in this culture. It's time for men to be strong in the church. And I know that there are women who have had no choice in the matter. And you find yourself in the spiritual leadership role of your families and it feels overwhelming and impossible, but can I encourage you from the word of God this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 20, starting in verse four, says this. It says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you victory. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse six says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Can we be encouraged by the word of God this morning? So Proverbs chapter 29, 28 says this, and I'm going to be done. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, they are most blessed. What is your specific vision inspired by God for your family? Do you have one? 
Because the truth is, if you're not leading your family, someone else is. Don't bury the potential in the ground, but instead, can we take a risk and live under the banner that my family is Missio Day, that my family is on mission with God, my family's life, we are on a, on a mission with God and for God. And so to the, this morning's big idea is simply this, and I want you to take this with you this afternoon. And the statement is simply this, I want my family to be blank. I want to give you an opportunity to fill in. What do you desire your family to be? Where do you desire your family to go? How do you desire your family to be? And for some of you, this may, this may mean, man, you have to pursue God. You have to pursue the Holy Spirit like you've never pursued him before. And for some of you, God has begun to already transplant purpose and mission and vision into your life. And, uh, and maybe this is just the first opportunity we've given you a sheet of paper to write it down. But man, begin to write down, I want my family to be. And then just go nuts. And then with everything inside of you, go after those things. With everything inside of you, go after those things. Give every ounce of effort, every ounce of strength, every ounce of purpose you have to the things that God is leading your family towards. And let's see what kind of world we have. Because the family of God is stepping up and we're not allowing culture to define us, but we're allowing God's mission for our lives to define us and what we do and where we go. Amen? Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We want to be able to walk with you and beside you as you go throughout life. So if you are ever in need of prayer, we want to be able to pray with you. Please email us at motioncityprayer at gmail.com. We would also love to have you join us in person next week as we begin a new series titled Ghost Stories. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Falwell School of Performing Arts. We hope you have a fantastic week.